This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 57th edition of Sports and Stuff on RainierAvenueRadio.world. Today I have a very special guest on this 57th edition, Jeff Aaron, also known as The Fish. Jeff is a longtime sports radio host, announcer, and entertainment and event host. Before I go further with this interview with Jeff, I want to recognize my engineer today, James Gerd. James is also the host of the After Dark show at RainierAvenueRadio.world. A lot of good shows going on here on this online station. We have entertainment shows, political shows, news shows, music shows. The list goes on, lifestyle shows. Uh, Our sports department has some good stuff going on. We have a show hosted by Rick Dupree, one-on-one with Dupe. Granville Emerson, Renault Laurent host a show. Lidline Sports, Masvita Marari hosts a show. Seattle Sports Weekly, Patton McCarthy, Masvita hosts a show on the Seattle Metro Sports Conference. Mark Bryan has a fitness-based show. And Juan Cotto and Mike Cobrizi also host a show. A lot of stuff going on in our sports department. My show, Sports and Stuff, was started over two years ago. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of my interviews are on my website, pluslawoffices.com. And on Mixcloud, you can follow me on Facebook and on Twitter at PLS Law Offices. I always appreciate any feedback I get. Um, well, Jeff, I want to give you a little more of an introduction here. Jeff Aaron is now based in Arizona. He is uh, CEO of a trivia company, Fame Trivia USA LLC. I believe Jeff is working as a radio host in Arizona right now as well. Jeff has many years of experience in the sports broadcasting industry. Jeff worked at Seattle's KJR for many years. He was the host of a good show in Everett, Washington on Fox Sports Radio AM 1380 from 22 through 2018. Um, I had the honor of being a guest on Jeff's show once back in 2013 when I commented on the NBA relocation battle. I'm sure, Jeff, that's an interview you just absolutely treasure remember so well, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I... I'm also, uh, if I'm the 57th guest on your show, you must have had, what, Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, because I don't feel so important being number 57, and you were my favorite interview of all time. You're number one on my show. <laughs> well, I would not say I was your best interview of all time, but I, but I appreciate it. No, I haven't had Jay Leno. I've had some wonderful guests, and you, you know a whole bunch of my guests, but Jay Leno and some of the names you mentioned haven't come yet, but uh, you never know what happens. Well, Jeff has also been announced of the Everett Silver Tips, the Western High League was a pregame host for Wazoo football. He's covered the Mariners, Sonics, and Seahawks. Jeff is one of those guys who's kind of seen it all in the broadcast industry. Well, Jeff, uh, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. I'm ready to go. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're not going to get everything today, but we'll have some fun and hit on some topics. Well, today is a pretty solemn day, obviously. Well, not a pretty solemn day. It's a very solemn day. It's 9-11, 18 years ago. The attacks on the United States occurred September 11th, 2018. Jeff, why don't you share with me for a minute what you were doing on 9-11 of 2001 and share with us a little bit how you think it's affected the sports industry anyways. Well, I, 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 this one is, a, is near and dear to me because of the polarizing memory. We were actually live on radio uh, when I worked with Mitch in the morning on our KJR morning show. And we did a daily feature every morning at 7 o'clock. We'd call it the Daily Schnoz. That was Mitch's idea. And we would pick the top four sports stories in the country and visit a representative in each of those cities to talk about the stories. And on that day, September 11th, one of the stories was from out of New York. I don't remember if it was football or baseball related. But as we were talking live on radio to a guy from New York, a reporter, he kept getting more and more distracted, and it was kind of annoying Mitch, and we were wondering what's going on, and he says, well, you guys might want to turn on your TV, something's happening, a plane has just hit 
one of the twin towers. And at that point, we all started turning the channel and turning on the TVs and more and more news. You know, every channel eventually went live to that coverage. And we were on the air and the moment was much too big for us to handle. Obviously, we disconnected with the New York guy and we started reacting to what we thought was just simply an airplane accident that a plane went off course. And then when the second airplane hit the tower, then all of a sudden everyone realized at that time this was something different. And within the hour, the story, again, is so overwhelming for two sports radio yokels on the air. Me and Mitch, we, uh, our program director wisely said, you know what, everyone in the, in the country is, is focused on this. We ended up for the first and only time, I believe, in the history of KGR Radio. We switched to a CBS News affiliate and went 24 hours straight of news coverage. I believe that's the only time that happened. And we sat there and just watched it together in the what we call the sports pit. And, you know, the world changed from that point. I mean, I don't even think any of us realized, Paul, how, you know, from just a simple airplane trip to our every daily lives to going to a concert and the increase in security and the worrisome, worrisome of, uh, of other terroristic acts. I mean, a lot has changed since then and pretty much impacts our everyday life. So, yeah, this... This day brings back a lot of mixed feelings for a lot of people. You know, Jeff, what you just mentioned is is really f- interesting. You and Mitch were actually doing a show when 9-11 occurred. You know, most people around the world were not actually doing a media show when 9-11 occurred. So it seems like you and your station had to make kind of an instant decision how to how to handle it, well, correct? You know, what's odd about that, is, and, and something I'm, in my broadcast career, I, I'm sort of proud of it, but, you know, for why I don't understand, but I was live on the air in 1986 when the space shuttle Challenger exploded. And there are various moments that you, you know, being in radio and being on at different times of the day that I've been on the air when one of the most memorable shows for me was, was when Michael Jackson passed away. I mean, we did a sports show, but the word came down at like five minutes to three and I was on the air live at three o'clock and all of a sudden I'm doing a one hour show with people, you know, with different reactions, some crying and, you know, not not knowing how to it was such an iconic person in the United States that everybody knew Michael Jackson in the world and being on the air and you know through the OJ Simpson trial and doing we were doing you know an NBA show on a weekend when all of a sudden OJ's loose on the freeway in his white Ford Bronco and I mean there's many moments good and bad and indifferent where you're you're live on the radio and have to offer instant reaction and normally it's it's overwhelming, and you're you're really not ready for it, especially you know being a sports talk radio guy and not being a news commentator. Well, you brought up a lot there, and and I, I think something you brought up is I think security games is one reason how nine eleven changed sports. Well, you can't yeah you can't take a backpack into a game and a Seahawk game. You have to have the little see through plastic bin, and you know it's everything from everyday daily travel and everything. You know, I mean I. I we could sit here and make a list all day of how much the world has changed since uh, since nine eleven. Right, right. Well, your insights are uh, are definitely interesting. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with longtime sports broadcaster and sports entertainment man Jeff Aaron. Jeff, um, you have been known as the Fish, and I learned a little bit more about how you were dubbed with that nickname. Can you just take a minute and share with the listeners how you got oh, the nickname the Fish? Sakes. Uh, you have no idea how many times. In fact, just this past weekend, I was hosting a football party, and 
in Arizona where nobody knows who I am. I'm a newbie down here, and someone <laughs> came up and said, oh, I see on your logo here it says the fish. Are you a fisherman? Because people always want to tell me they're long. There's nothing worse than a long fishing story <laughs> other than maybe your, how your fantasy football team's doing. But the short version I tell on this, and it's not a it's not a wonderful story, but Mitch in the morning, back in the KGR days, was was the afternoon host, the midday host, noon to three. And on one particular day, he called in sick and couldn't do the show. So the program director tiptoe Tommy Lee. You can ask him how he got his nickname. He uh, he called me and says, "Would you want to fill in for Mitch today?" So I did. And it was the day where something traumatic happened in sports. Reggie Lewis of the Boston Celtics had died, uh, an active NBA star, died of a cocaine-induced heart attack. And it was the big story of the day. And I'm kind of an old-school sports guy, so I did an entire show based on athletes who passed away in their prime. So it wasn't like this exciting, sexy subject to do a show on. And the next day when Mitch came back, he had asked his audience, well, how did the guy do that filled in for me yesterday? And Somebody inadvertently just called, and it made no sense to me or anyone else whatsoever, but he goes, Mitch, it sounded like a fishing show. So all of a sudden, <laughs> I started getting teased, and that night, we were all gathered down at FX McCrory's in downtown Seattle for a Mike Gastineau anniversary party, and some woman approached me with fisherman cough drops, sort of <laughs> giggling, I heard you're the fisherman, that you do a fishing show, and someone had put her up to it, and I started being called the fisherman. Hey, the fisherman, when are you doing your next fishing show? And I was being teased like, you know, like boys in the locker room, and eventually uh, people started calling me the fisherman, the fisherman, and it got shortened to the fish, and finally I gave up fighting the nickname and decided I might as well just embrace it, so... I became the fish and used it to my advantage. Ever what the since. heck? Just roll with it. It served you well, Jeff. Well, Jeff, you know, I've learned a little bit more about you in, in doing a little uh, workup before this interview. And um, one thing I've learned is you are a Heisman Trophy voter, which you've been, I, I believe, since 1991. It's a prestigious award given the best college football player every year. Um, how did you become a Heisman Trophy voter, Jeff? And what is your general philosophy as a voter about how to select the best player every year? Well, I'll correct one thing. Was up until this year a Heisman Trophy voter because when you move out of state, you lose your right to vote. I almost didn't move because of that. Uh, I loved, loved being a Heisman Trophy voter for many, many years. And the only way that you get to be a Heisman Trophy voter is they have certain amount of voters in every major college football city, and you're nominated by another member of the media. And I was nominated by a Seattle Times reporter who had, who had, after many, many years of voting, decided he didn't watch enough college football, and he nominated me. So I was contacted by the Heisman folks, and uh, and I took this very seriously. I was a a John Wooden Award voter for many years for college basketball, but then when I didn't watch as much college basketball, I didn't feel. I was worthy of the vote, so I turned it over to someone else. But the Heisman vote every year, I would pay attention to as many players and compare stats and take it very serious. And it's an award that I believe it should be held to a higher level than most individual awards. To me, I, I did put a lot of stock in the, the person. Uh, if they were in trouble on and off the field, that factored into my voting. There are a few guidelines that they give you to to establish your vote, but they pretty much leave it up to you and your individualism on what you feel that award means. And to me, you know, next to a gold medal or a, an Olympic medal for your country, I can't think of an award that would mean more than the Heisman Trophy. So uh, my vote, my my allegiance has been tested over the years with 
you know, certain players that, you know, Johnny Manziel and Reggie Bush got into some trouble. And there was, you know, even Baker Mayfield was kind of a cocky, arrogant guy. And you didn't know whether you wanted to vote for him or not. And Jameis Winston was in a lot of trouble at Florida State. So there were certain players that tested, you know, tested your qualifications as a voter. And there are many years where the player I voted number one to win the Heisman did not win the award. So I didn't necessarily go with what ESPN told me. I went with what I felt in my heart for the Heisman Trophy. So it seems to me, Jeff, that you, you weighed out character of the player more than some other voters yes. did. Yes, I think I took character into account more than others. But that doesn't mean, you know, for example, I did eventually vote for Jameis Winston, but he had done some things in – but you had to look at the you're, – you're in the law – you know, in the lawyer business, so you have to look at what is real and what is fabricated, especially in this day and age on social media, because there were – there are a lot of innuendos. So you have to kind of judge, is this for real? Is, is this kid really a bad kid? Or is this just, you know, social media taking advantage of someone who's famous? So, you know, you, you had to really, really look and investigate before, at least I would, before I placed my vote. And, you know, the, the East Coast bias factored into it. So I thought, well, maybe I'll be the West Coast bias guy <laughs> because there is a lot of West Coast football players that I, I believe have lost the Heisman Trophy because no one on the East Coast would vote for him because they didn't see him. You know, a guy like Marcus Mariota broke that trend, but very rarely outside of a USC quarterback do you see a Heisman Trophy awarded to someone on the West Coast. Well, I love this. I've never talked to a Heisman Trophy voter before, so I, I find this very interesting. And I'm kind of a geek that enjoys the Hall of Fame debates and the Heisman Trophy debates, so this is uh, my kind of subject, Jeff. Paul Schneiderman at Rainier Avenue Radio World host of sports and stuff with Jeff Aaron. Jeff, I got a question here at the Heisman Trophy, and I, I didn't really get an answer to this online the other day. I know Charles Woodson won it one year. He was primarily a defensive player at Michigan in the late 90s, but I think he did do some stuff on special teams and offense. Are defensive players precluded from being Heisman Trophy winners, or, or is it open to a little bit of wiggle room? I, I blame it a lot on, on ESPN. Uh, ESPN puts out their top three voters, you know, top three of this week, every week. And, yeah, unfortunately, it has become, uh, you know, the, it, it seemingly has become the best quarterback on, on a winning football team. And, you know, Oklahoma might win the award for the third year in a row with the way Jalen Hurts got off to his start. But Charles Woodson, you know, probably won the award, one, because Michigan went to the national, won the national championship, but he also played offense, and that's what made him unique. So he got tons and tons of media coverage because he returned punts and kicks and scored touchdowns, and they'd put him in a wide receiver. If he hadn't done that, I doubt that he would have won the award without having some offensive exploits. You know, I'm old school, and I don't know how old you are, Paul, but there was a player back in the University of Pittsburgh back in the 1970s. His name was Hugh Green, and to this day, he was the best college football player I've ever seen in my life, and he was the first one that had generated many years. Could he win the Heisman as a defensive player? And I don't even know that he made the top three. I think he might have made third in the balloting that year, but it, it would take a special player with a lot of headlines and a unique personality, I think, as a defensive player to win the award. It just doesn't seem possible in the day and age of all these spread offenses and these juggernaut numbers that these players put up, especially on the winning programs like Clemson and Oklahoma. I mean, they're, these, are, these are video game numbers that everyone looks at every week. 
Yeah, Hugh Green was a great player, Jeff. If you're wondering my age, I entered my the final year of my fifth decade of my life yesterday. So I, I, I can give a clever answer for turning age 49. So, well, so happy anyhow. birthday. Jeff, you, know, you mentioned a minute ago that you, that you um, were an official voter of the John Wooden Award, given the best college football basketball player, a great award. Why don't you think yeah. a lot of fans are as familiar with the John Wooden Award as they are, say, the Heisman Trophy and other sports MVP type awards? Well, there's a very simple reason for that. John Wooden took his, uh, before his passing, uh, didn't like, and I don't remember the exact circumstances, he was unhappy with the way that his name was being attached to the award, and he actually removed himself from the, uh, in some ways, from the board of directors or whatever, from the Wooden Award. It's carried on without him. Uh, John Wooden is one of those people that I admire, and you know he has sure. a lot of books, and his strategies are still utilized by coaches across the world today. John Wooden was one of those people that, when I first got into the sports talk business, I I was brash and bold and didn't care, so I would call people up at home, and I actually got a hold of John Wooden's phone number called him he answered the phone and i probably did a 30 minute interview with him it was such a big big impact on my early radio career wow i had to cherish that interview for the rest of my life and had a few more opportunities later on in life to to talk to john wooden but the fact that you you dial a phone number and this is pre-cell phone era and pre-internet and you you call somebody and you say someone answers the phone and uh, i'm looking for for coach wooden this is him do you know how shocking that is? <laughs> Isn't that the Wizard of Westwood? Oh, he was, yeah, uh, you know, statistically, I mean, he, he, his, there are certain sports records that are, that are just un, unapproachable, and I, I'm afraid that uh, John Wooden's record will be unapproachable by anyone everywhere, other than maybe Gino Ariama, and I guess at UConn, he's kind of put up those kind of wins and losses record that John did. Talented coaches. Jeff, one more question about the Wooden Award, then we'll move on to some other subjects, Jeff. Did you find it easier anyway to select the top NCAA men's basketball player versus selecting the top college football player? Well, I'll I'll admit to me, and again, that's why I didn't really feel justified to have that vote because, again, I like most, I watched college basketball starting on March 1st when the bracket came out. So I actually would call other members of the media I actually even utilized my son's a huge college basketball fan, and he's got some friends that are coaches and things. And I would call, I would call other people in the know and say, "Who do you believe is the best college basketball player and why?" So I would seek the opinion of many others, and and put that information together before making my vote final. And for the Wooden Award, you also had to vote for ten, but you had to rank them in descending order. So okay. like first place got ten points. So you you basically listed the ten ba- best college basketball players in the country. And you rank them. So your ranking pretty much determined who would win or not. But uh, I didn't really, you know, it, it was a, I felt like it was a, a very unique thing to be part of. But yet it, I didn't feel justified as I did for the Heisman Trophy. Gotcha. Jeff, you know, you have your own trivia company. I believe it's called Fame Trivia USA LLC. And, um, can you share, I don't know if this is a, a kind of question where you may have some secrets you don't want to share, but I'm still going to ask it. Any any tricks or secrets to putting together good sports trivia questions, Jeff? Well, it, it, it started out as sports trivia, and I was, a, I was a sports trivia host many, many years before trivia nights became popular in bars. And 
many will remember that that know who I am will remember back in the day at KGR we had the stump the band at the right. end of the show every Friday. Listeners would call in with trivia questions and try to try to stump the band per se. But I was the leader of that band, and I used to get <laughs> questions right to, to where people would get mad at me. So they uh, they dubbed me Mister Trivia, and I used to host trivia events in bars for sports fans, and we'd give away VCRs or DVD players. And then it was about, well, to be honest, it was seven years ago today, so it's hard to put out all this happy, it's the anniversary of my company, but it was 9-11 seven years ago that I I basically transformed me hosting Trivia Nights to a whole bunch of people hosting Trivia Nights where I made it into a business in an LLC, and we did multiple trivia nights in multiple locations. So I have uh, 12 locations around Washington uh, where we have trivia nights every week. And I sit at my, right before you called, I was staring at a computer writing trivia questions today. I pretty much spend almost an hour, hour and a half every morning writing trivia questions. But now it's not sports trivia. It's sports, music, movies, entertainment, pop culture, history, geography, you name it. I write about it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't remember everything anymore. I don't retain all the information. And I've written 361 trivia quizzes in a row, 361 weeks. I think I'm breaking Joe DiMaggio's record, <laughs> most consecutive trivia weeks. And it's a it's a passion for me. And I, you know, in, in my life, there are two things that I feel I've accomplished. I was able to talk sports on the radio, and I turned trivia into a nice, thriving business. That's That's great. It's fun to get a little bird's eye view of the... Sports trivia business. I, I think this is the first time my show we've ever talked about sports trivia, Jeff. So I want to get a little in there. Paul Schneiderman again right. on horse on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio dot world. If you're just tuning in, I got Jeff Aaron and I were having a fun interview about uh, Jeff's work and some of his thoughts on sports subjects. Jeff, um, you we only got a couple minutes left, believe it or not, maybe four or five minutes left. So I kind of want to take a lap around a few other a few other subjects here. Jeff, you worked for the Everett Silver Tips, the Western Hockey League, for about nine years in the 2000s as an on-ice announcer. Um, do you, as we know, the, the NHL is coming to Seattle in 2021. I've asked a few questions, similar questions about this to a few people in the Seattle NHL group. Do, do you think the Silver Tips and the Seattle Thunderbirds can be affected at all by having the big, uh, excuse the quip, the Big Fish National Hockey League come to Seattle? I've asked that question myself of, of many people, and uh, the Silver Tips – they started the same year that I started my show in Everett, Washington. So we were kind of, you know, we had the, we were born together, and it's a relationship that I've cherished over the years. And I did all the on ice work for for the first nine seasons of the team, and predominantly went to every game. And I still keep in touch with many of the players from that original team. In fact, one of their star players, Mitch Love, is now the head coach of the Saskatoon Blades, and he was down here swimming in my swimming pool and playing golf just a few weeks ago. So it's a right. very cherished and important relationship. They do have a, uh, you know, a pretty hardcore fan base. Um, I do, you know, I'm not so sure about the Seattle Thunderbirds. I don't know what their future is, but I think people, for whatever reason, treat Everett as far away from Seattle. People from Everett will say it's a trip to Seattle, uh, even though it's hockey. I just think there's two separate fan bases there. So again, not knowing also what what the Silver Tips have in mind for their future and their negotiations with their lease and their home at the at the Angel of the Winds Arena and all that, but I think they'll be fine. And I, you know, I think a lot of people will 
can't afford the NHL pricing. They don't. The, the sure. traffic scares people away. So I do believe it's two different entities, and I I believe the Silver Tips will be just fine, and, and they'll stay if they choose to stay. And your, your points are really good, one Jeff Everett, which is a nice community, is a little bit distinct from Seattle in a lot of ways. Although it's not that far away geographically, you bring up a point. It really is its own community. Jeff, you've been in Arizona now, I think, for about a year, and uh, Phoenix and Seattle are obviously different types of cities. What are some differences you see in the Phoenix and Seattle sports markets? Uh, and by the way, Phoenix has to be about the the, uh, the sports bar capital of the country. But anyhow, yeah. uh, what what do you think? What are some differences you see in the sports markets, um, fan base, whatever, between Seattle and Phoenix? Well, here's the biggest difference, and I experienced this this past Sunday hosting an NFL viewing party, which I did for many many years up in Seattle. I hosted Seahawk parties at the Swinomish Casino in Anacortes for I think about 17 years. Right. I hosted a football party this week. The thing is, people don't come out. You know, it was a Seahawks viewing party in Seattle. Here, it's a. It, you know, they put Arizona on the big screen, but people get mad because the home team's on the big. We don't want to see the Cardinals. And like everyone knows here in, in the Valley, everyone is from somewhere else. And everyone's from Chicago or they're from Milwaukee. And I suddenly found myself having people, I want this game. I want that game. And you have little pockets of fan bases. You have Bears fans sitting in one corner and a bunch of Seahawks fans here. And, and then, you you know, I like the Dallas Cowboys. So it was a different party where it was more about just the NFL and all the games rather than everybody polarized and cheering for the home team. Arizona does not have that same passion. Uh, they don't have a you know the Sea Hawks chant. It's it's a different animal down here, and I you know it has a lot to do with a lot of transplant people, and it's a it's a different sports market. I think it's a good sports market, but it's not the same as a of a, of a Seattle or a Philadelphia or New York, where everyone's kind of hardcore about the home teams. A lot of transplants in Arizona. A lot of Chicagoans in Arizona, by the way. That's probably I think your your answer uh, makes sense. Uh, well, you know, Jeff, I run into more Seattle people down here. Everywhere I go, I run into some. Oh, I'm from Linwood. <laughs> I'm from Puyallup. I mean, every week. It's unbelievable. I'm, uh, I had about five or six people say, I can't believe you're the fish. I listened to you for years. They were all down at the Seahawks game fun. watching the Seahawks-Bengals game last week. Fun. A lot of Seattleites, as we know, and people watching the state want to escape the weather. Well, Jeff, we have about 30 seconds left. Uh, we're about to wrap this up. What does the future hold for Jeff Aaron? Well, thank you for not asking me about Antonio Brown because I would have gotten angry with you. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm going to continue working on my trivia questions. I'm doing some part-time radio down here, and I do it because I have a love for radio, and it's it's fun for me. And I'm going to sit out at my pool and work on my tan and enjoy myself. And it well, was an enjoyable conversation with you today. Jeff, thanks, to Kat, thanks for coming on, and I had a lot more questions for you, but I'm up against a 27-minute clock, and it's you and I stay in touch. You got it. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff.